Well, we're in a series called Christmas Wonder, and uh, we celebrated the wonder of Christmas Friday night. The good news is we're doing it again tonight. And there may be some tickets available, I've been asked, but man, if you haven't, invite somebody to come be a part of that 715. Terrific, terrific night of worship. Just wonderful, wonderful. So proud of all. Christmas Wonder, trying to view God through the eyes of a child. Ira D. Sankey led the music for many D.L. Moody evangelistic campaigns. He wrote many, many beautiful gospel songs, many of which you would know, I'm sure. But in the year of 1876, Sankey was traveling on a steamboat up the Delaware River on Christmas Eve. Travelers on such a holiday seemingly cut adrift in a world where everyone else is celebrating with loved ones often seemed to cling together, making a circle of warmth in a waiting room, in a plane, or in an almost deserted restaurant. It was such a journey. On the deck were gathered a number of passengers looking out at a calm, starlit night. Someone said, did you hear? Mr. Sankey's aboard. Mr. Sankey's aboard. And immediately there were cries. He was well known. Let him sing for us. Ask Mr. Sankey to sing for us. He stood leaning against one of the great funnels of the boat, and before he began, he stood for a moment as if in prayer, pondering, deciding what to sing. He wanted to sing a Christmas song or two, but somehow the words of the shepherd's song are what came to his heart. Some of the words, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us, for our use thy folds prepare. He sang all of the verses. Among the listeners, there was a deep stillness, The words telling the sweet story of God's love for wandering men and the melody beautifully floated out across the deck and across the water into the night and it seemed that every heart was deeply stirred. At the end of the song, there was an almost audible response. Finally, one man stepped out of the shadows, a rough-looking man. To Sankey, he said, sir, did you ever serve in the Union Army? "Well, Well, yes, answered Sankey. In the spring of 1860, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlight moonlit night in maybe 1962? Yes, I do, he answered with surprise. Were you? I did too, yes, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I said to myself, that fellow will never get away from here alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was, I was in the shadow completely hidden while you walked in full moonlight. At that instant, I was about to squeeze the trigger and you began to sing. The song you sang was Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. The music reached out and touched my heart and I took my finger off the trigger. I'll wait until the end of the song, I said to myself. I can't miss him and I can shoot him afterwards. As you sang, you reached the place where it says, we are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. I could hear every word perfectly and how, many, how the memories came flooding into my heart. I began to think of my childhood, my mother. She loved God and she had sung that song to me on many, many occasions, but she died all too soon. Otherwise, I think my life might have been different to this point. At the end of the song, I couldn't raise my musket again. It was impossible for me to take aim. Though you stood still in the bright moonlight, a perfect target. Then I thought of the Lord 
I looked at you and thought, the Lord who was able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. My arm dropped to my side, and I cannot tell you all the things I thought at that time. My heart was smitten, but I didn't know what to do about it. Just now, when you were about to sing and stood quietly as if praying, I recognized you. I've wandered far and wide since that occasion. I have never found that shepherd you sang about. Please help me now find a cure for my sick, sick soul. Deeply moved, Mr. Sankey threw his arms around the man who had been his enemy, who indeed could have ended his life. That Christmas Eve night, a former soldier found the great and tender shepherd as his savior. True story. That's the God we sing about and sing to at Christmas time. It's the God of whom we want to talk about his grace today. Christmas wonder is presence, his presence, his nearness, his goodness, but it's also his grace. So when it comes to a God view of Christmas wonder, we need to go to school with little children. You gotta love their innocence and their purity, the simplicity when it comes to God, the way they say things with so much light and passion. Their faith and trust seems to be off the charts. And Jesus said this in Mark 10, 15. Anyone who refuses to come to God as a little child will never be allowed into his kingdom. In other words, you all would be better off if you were a whole lot more like little children, especially at Christmas time. This blessing season, we're smack in the middle of, you need and I need a good dose of childlike Christmas wonder. This will keep you hungry for more of him and it'll keep you humble. I read of a five-year-old boy who was caught in a big and bold lie by his mother after prematurely opening some of his Christmas presents and denying it. None of you ever did anything like that, did you? Your kids are grand. Well, she confronted him. He denied it, denied it. Finally, finally, he admitted and said, I did it, Mama. I did it. She said, lying is a sin, and you deserve to be disciplined. His head was drooping. Then she decided that this was a good teaching moment to teach her about the, teach him about the characteristics of God. So she said, honey, do you know what grace is? Of course, he didn't know. She continued, grace is getting a gift you don't deserve. Today, I'm gonna teach you what God gives us. You deserve to be disciplined, but today, I'm not going to do it. You may go play because you've been given grace. This made a huge impact on that little boy, and he never forgot the grace lesson his mother taught them. But here's the thing, for the next couple of years, whenever he got in trouble, he would say something like this, Mama, I need you to give me some grace right now. <laughs> We're not unlike that little boy, are we? Well, his grace, as we've seen in that story of that soldier wandering through the years far from God, but being welcomed into the family, on that unlikely steamboat on Christmas Eve of 1876. Little children, it seems, seem to get uh, grace extended to them, especially this time of year, when hearts are so tender. When they get into trouble, they feel a relational distance from their parent or whoever it may be, and, and, and it really bothers them. Their heart longs to be reconciled. They wanna be loved and hugged and held and restored. Isn't that right? And we know that if we've had to discipline our children and grand, after we do, they can't seemingly get close enough to us after that time of discipline. Agreed? And I'm not talking about anything abusive, but I'm talking about necessary, applied discipline. 
they very much want that relationship to be made right. Agreed? They have so much to teach us about this. And if a little child could say it, they could sum it up today in this thought. My God forgives me. How about yours? Look at me. Does your God forgive you? Is it selective? Are there just certain things on the list that he can forgive? 1 John 1, 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from most of our wickedness. Is that what it says? No, I think the word is what? All. When you agree with God that you've blown it, you've sinned, you deserve discipline and need grace and forgiveness, listen, you've got it. You've got it. That's what Christmas was all about. He responds by forgiving and washing you clean from any and all sin, whatever that may be. Are you still claiming that? Are you still believing that? Or have we outgrown that simple childlike belief? Two things I wanna point out about that grace extended to you and me that I'm encouraging you to embrace today. The first one is this, is that God forgives. Is anybody receiving that today out there? God forgives. Forgives. It's almost like he F-O-R forgives because he provided forgiveness long before you even asked for it. It's available. God's all forget, forgiving and he can forgive anything no matter what as long as you confess and repent specifically. He removes it all completely. That's what the Bible says. As in Psalm 103, 12 with dovetails to our next point. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad he didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because on my globe, there's a north pole and a south pole, but there's no east pole or west pole. In other words, he's saying, my forgiveness takes your sin forever in the opposite direction from you. Wow, what a gift. And as beautiful as that is, and that's wonderful, and we need it, we need that kind of Christmas grace for sure, but I think it's even more powerful to know that not only does he forgive, but God forgets. And he doesn't do it accidentally, he does it intentionally. God forgets on purpose. And you know what I've determined living this long? Only God can forget intentionally. I forget things I should remember and remember things I should forget. Anybody else struggle with that? God is all forgetting. When God forgives you and your sins, they go forever in opposite directions like the scripture I just mentioned, forever. God forgives immediately when you sincerely ask and he forgets your sins instantly. What does that say to you? All forgetful to me is a wonderful and seldom mentioned attribute of God because only God can do that. And courses about the attributes of God, I never heard about his all forgetfulness. We need to hear that today. Isaiah 43, 25 speaks to it. He says, God speaking, yes, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. So I wanna ask you, why are you thinking of your forgiven and forgotten sin? Are you hearing me? I wanna read that last line again. He said, I blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. Wow. God is all-knowing, yes. He is all-present. He's all-powerful. He's all-good. He's all-forgiving, and he's all-forgetting. He removes your sin instantly. 
immediately, permanently. With that in heart and mind, could I ask you this? Could I make this point? If that's true of the character and nature of only God, who is so good, and we've been talking about in this season, isn't it pointless to beat yourself up and to wallow in shame over sins that have been forgiven and forgotten by God? No matter what. Oh, the small ones, yeah, his grace covered, but not the big one because you knew better, but you did it anyway. Should you beat yourself up over things that God no longer remembers? God intentionally forgets, I wanna say it again, only God, only a God like you, we used to sing. It's not like in the old days when we used to type and we'd make a blunder and we'd get a bottle of whiteout or something and, and mark it out and then type over it and, and maybe the, the, the blooper was gone but, but the evidence was still there, right? Some of us, that's what we view. We think our, our page is all blotched up because God had to white out this sin or that sin. But I wanna tell you, when he forgives and forgets, it's gone. It's clean. You're not who you used to be. So never refer to yourself by who you used to be and what you used to do. You are now a child of Almighty God. Live like it, claim, stand on that promise. Look at life through that lens, amen? Never settle for anything else. Never settle for somebody else accusing you of who you used to be before forgiveness and forgetfulness of God in your life. To project this view on God is a distortion of what he does and who he is with his grace and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. It's like God hits the forgive and forget, delete key, and your sin and mine, the sin of the world, is gone forever. Never to be remembered again by him. I read of a couple of young brothers playing in the backyard after Christmas gifts, sharing a toy, and they were having a good time until they got possessive, got upset, and the parent looked out, and they were going at it, rolling around in the mud and snow and, and wrestling and fighting, and a parent steps in and says, okay, stand up, stand up now. I want you to face each other, and I want you to tell each other you're sorry. And you know how it goes, sorry, the mumble. Now I want you to say, please forgive me. Oh, more painful, please forgive me. Then the parent does the dirty and he makes them hug each other against their wishes. But isn't it something after they do that bump and quick hug business, you look back in the backyard after a few moments after that bump, bump hug, they're playing together just as if nothing had ever happened before. Have you witnessed that? Grown-ups don't do so well at this, I'm afraid. They tend to throw a quick, insincere sorry out the corner of their mouth over their shoulder and they move on while holding on to hurt, anger, and resentment indefinitely, saying something like this. Oh, how many times have I heard this? Things will never be the same between us again. Our relationship is ruined. Our relationship is permanently damaged. Unforgiveness rules. And I'm here to tell you by God's grace and forgiveness today, choose to let it go. Be like God. Choose to let it go. That thing Maybe it's something that you yourself engaged in. Maybe it's something that was done to you. But children seem to live naturally under grace. But adults struggle because they know in their heart that God forgives and forgets and confess all confess repentant sin like I've talked about today. But then they keep living in a self-inflicted prison. Maybe thinking this, Lord, your grace is good, but maybe it's for everybody else. It seems too good to be true because nothing in this world is free and it's just too easy, this grace and forgiveness thing. 
So daily life plays out about this. God, I think you'll love me more if I give you the first moments of the day or if I do this or give more or serve more or whatever. We, we move outside of grace. I'll feel better about myself and maybe you will too if I do this, that, or the other. All of the above that I could mention that you could think of are absolutely unbiblical. These are the very things keeping you from experiencing the life-changing reality of his love, freedom, and grace. There are lots of definitions about grace, and you could look them up, and it's about God's unmerited favor for sure, but I love this one that basically says something like this. Grace is a present with an S-E-N-T from God. His unearned favor and love. It's a constant, oh, I like this. It's a constant awareness of the present and presence of his grace in our life. That's what grace is. Not just in the blessing season, but through the year. Constantly thinking about the present of his presence and his distribution of grace in your life. I think that there are times when we think somehow misunderstanding grace that we need to add to what God has already done for us. We feel like maybe we need to co-sign this sin debt, you know. Uh, in other words, God, you've done your part, now I'll do my part. I don't wanna be a burden to you and, and expect you to pay all my debts, but I wanna tell you that's what grace is all about. You can't add a thing to it. Grace plus anything is not God's grace at all. It's not our works not our righteousness, God's grace is enough. I'm here to tell you on this pre-Christmas Sunday, God's grace is enough. He paid your sin debt once for all, paid in full, but you might you must choose to receive it or not, and really that's what prepares our heart for communion that we're going to celebrate together in a little while. But I wanna remind you again, something that we know so well, but grace is always undeserved and it's always free, but it costs him everything. This changes your worldview when you realize how costly your sin debt is, and how valuable God's grace is. You must believe the penalty for your sins is eternal separation from God, but embrace the fact that God paid that debt, build a bridge over that chasm through Jesus Christ and all he's done on the cross, and it began with a babe in a manger all the way to the cross, to the empty tomb, and we're not too old and too mature or too anything to go back to the simplicity of childlike wonder, and I pray that as we move through this service today that our hearts will just be filled with awe and wonder of who God is and what he has done, what he is doing, what he has yet to do in our lives. Amen? Amen? The Christmas words, and I'll, I'll need music support if that's where we're moving next, Joel. That's the story of Christmas and wonders of his love. Let every heart prepare him room. And I want us to spend the next moments, even as we enter into musical portion of worship extended, I want you to prepare your heart. 
If things are out of kelter, if, if you've never come into a relationship with God, if you're like that sharpshooter that, that you, you know about him, your heart's tender and you heard the stories, but you've never come into his family, I can't think of a better time to do this. If, if you've known his love, but you've walked away from his grace and you're playing hard to get, today's the time to come back to him. If there's something lurking and looming in your life and you think it's too much, too, too heavy, too, I just want you to go palms up before him, that posture of giving and receiving and say, God, here I am. Is there anybody besides me today who needs his grace? Is there anybody who needs his forgiveness? Is there anybody besides me that needs his forgetfulness? You got it in Jesus. Will you access it? What a gift. What a gift that is so often and largely unopened by us. Would you receive it? Would you receive it? Being mindful that it costs God his only son. Father, thank you so much for your goodness that we talked about the first week. Thank you for your presence. My God is always with me, you are. And that's good, that's not bad, that's good, but we know that there are no secrets, you see everything, you know everything about us. And so we wanna to come to grips with this simple fact today as we move this service and prepare our hearts for communion that we're all in need of your grace. But for your forgiveness and forgetfulness, we are bound for eternal separation from you. I pray that you would call hearts to you today. In this room, online, those who are joining us throughout this week, may your love and grace overwhelming, overwhelm us like a tidal wave. And may we say yes. For that's one who's never said yes, Jesus be my savior. Forgive me of my sin and rebellion and my selfishness. And I confess, I repent, I'm sorry. I turn from that and I turn to you. I want to live all my days for you. For those that have been searching, for those that are far, far from where they once were, may, may they know that even though they've made steps and they've known better, that your love and grace is calling them and your forgiveness and forgetfulness applies to them. And, and, and you'll never go back into our forgiven past and label us in the present by something that we once did or were. We thank you that we're made new. And we celebrate that in this Christmas season. So Lord, we love you. We bless your holy name and we open our hearts to you right now and receive. Palms up, everyone, palms up. It's not a physical thing, it's a heart thing. Lord, I receive so that I can give, so I can receive and pour out. Extend your grace and love everywhere I go. And I pray it in Jesus' name.